Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com. This is St. Louis on the Air from St. Louis Public Radio. I'm Elaine Cha. When I look at that statistic, to me, what that says is we are failing our children. I had a mom come and hug me and say, oh my gosh, you look just like me. And that just makes my heart happy. Good ideas work. Great programs have impact. Yet neither is guaranteed to last without the right support, even if the needs that inspire those ideas continue to exist. And in too many cases that involve youth, are needs with particular urgency because kids grow up and do so fast. That's what happened with a program called Respond. It was created here in St. Louis to help place more Black foster youth with Black families. The good news now is that Respond is back. And here in studio to talk about the program and its return is Jenny Jones, Director of Respond and Traditional Licensing, the Foster and Adoptive Care Coalition, a nonprofit here in St. Louis. Jenny, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me today. Now, the Foster and Adoptive Care Coalition has been working in the St. Louis area since 1989, and Mm -hmm. over the past 33 years, it's been an Mm -hmm. example of impactful foster care policy that's been adopted throughout Missouri and in other states, Mm -hmm. like Ohio, Virginia, and New Mm -hmm. York. And not too long after the coalition's founding in the 90s, the RESPOND program was created. Jenny, tell us about RESPOND and why it was created then. Sure. So in the late 90s, the program existed because the founders of the program, Vicki and Howard Denson, saw a need for more Black homes for foster youth. Um, and so the early days of the program really existed. It was not just a program. It was an agency. Mm-hmm. And they did a lot more than foster care. They also had a focus and an emphasis on adoption as well. Um, that program was so inspiring. They offered mentoring. They did um, support groups for foster parents. It just was something that was hugely needed at the time and also hugely needed again now. Mm-hmm. Now, how effective was Respond back then? Yeah, so the program had lots of children actually be adopted out of the program. Um, We, our program now, worked uh, with Kimberly Ann Collins. She was adopted from Respond in the 90s. And because of her work, we were able to get this program started again today. So the foster and adopt that Mm -hmm. together. Mm -hmm. Why is that important together? Yeah, so... What we know is that we, what our agency, the Foster and Adoptive Care Coalition, strives for is permanency for every child. And of course, we would want our kids to be able to reunify and go back home with their families. But if there were a situation or a circumstance where it was proven that a child was unable to go home, we don't want our kids to be lingering in the foster care system. And Mm -hmm. so adoption is going to play a huge role in ensuring that our kids get that permanency. And that's why those two work hand in hand together. Mm-hmm. The Respond program stopped because there wasn't enough funding mm-hmm. for it. 
Was it principally the lack of funds, or were there other factors like mm-hmm. systemic or organizational challenges mm-hmm. that kept Respond from continuing even though the need persisted? I would say the reason why they lost their funding definitely had to do with some systemic issues. Okay. Um, and and I don't know a huge amount about that, but the funding that was used to support their program ultimately went to support another program. And so um, it was deemed that that program was not as impactful or successful as another program. And so that's how they ended up losing their funding. Okay. So it went somewhere else mm-hmm. instead. Mm-hmm. Um, was there anything about you know the intersection of systems, for example, eligibility, uh, maybe that was addressed by Respond, and that was part of the reason it was successful? Oh, yeah. I 100% um, know that those are things that they discussed with their potential families back in the day. Um, They discussed everything that they would need to um, become a foster parent and what we know for back then is some of the same things that we know for now, that um, a lot of times people did not want to foster or were afraid to foster because of things that may have appeared on a background check. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, there's so many myths from even the 90s to today that um, people just hear through word of mouth or things that they just believe that if you have something that looks suspicious on your background, you wouldn't be able to to move forward with fostering. Or if there's lack of work, you mm-hmm. wouldn't be able to move forward. Or cer- any other certain criteria such as age, marital status, race, um, you know, all of those things I feel have played such a huge part from the 90s to today. Mm-hmm. And what you've just listed now, are those principally the myths that have been um, the biggest barriers or are there some other mm-hmm. other maybe uh, more current <laughs> myths mm-hmm. that exist that have um, served as an impediment to, to mm-hmm. more people you know, showing interest in or or coming as candidates? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I definitely feel that list um, is a huge list of barriers that people feel today. Um, I cannot even begin to tell you how many times I get asked, do I need to be married? Um, I only have a two-bedroom. I have kids. Will, Will my kids keep me from being able to foster? Some of the other things that um, some other myths that we have noticed have come up, um, you know, people believing that we're just going to drop kids off at their front doorstep mm-hmm. or that um, that their income isn't sufficient. These are things that come up every time um, my team goes out to a recruitment event or when we sit down to have a meeting with somebody about, um, you know, what actually are, what the criteria is to foster these things come up every single time. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, what I'm noticing is just the lack of knowledge. Now, what are the qualifications to be a foster parent? Sure. So um, the main qualification is that everyone needs to be over the age of 21 um, to have a foster care license. Um We do run extensive background checks, um, fingerprints, sex offender checks, uh, case net history, of course, child and abuse 
checks. Um, and everyone over the age of 17 living in the home has to go through those checks. Mm-hmm. So even a senior in high school would have to do that. Um, every child in foster care needs to have their own bed space. They also need to have access to drawer and closet space, um, smoke detectors, you know, basic child proofing, um, in training, that's mm-hmm. the huge part of becoming a foster parent. You have to successfully have completed the nine weeks of training um, that we perform. It's called STARS. It will be going away in the future, but that's our training class that oh, we have okay. now. And then the other big piece is the home assessment piece. And it's a set of interviews that take place in your home mm-hmm. and our family development specialists um it perform an interview process where they get to know everything pretty much about you from birth up until your current age of life. Okay. So it's very thorough. It's very, very <laughs> thorough. Now, what is it that is generally taught in the training? Yeah. So um, every week we have a different topic. One of the things that we focus on hugely is we have five um, competencies, and we've recently added a six with the tool that we use to write home studies. And so we focus a lot of um, what we train on those competencies. So there's protecting and nurturing children in foster care, meeting and addressing a child's developmental needs, working as a member of a professional team, um, supporting children in relationships intended to last a lifetime, and also supporting um, children in relationship with their birth families. Mm -hmm. The sixth one, of course, is my favorite, and that refers to reinforcing a child's cultural heritage. And so with the work with Respond, that is one of the most important ones that we focus on, um, not just in our program, but at our agency. Mm -hmm. And all all nine week weeks of stars, one or more of those competencies will will come up. Now, who or what has brought Respond back? You mentioned Kimberly Ann Collins, mm-hmm. who's a state representative. Mm-hmm. What's the story about Respond's return? Yeah, so um, as I said, Kimberly Ann Collins was actually adopted from Respond. She was a kiddo who went through that program and personally felt the touch that needed to occur for many other kids in the greater St. Louis area. And so we were, uh, our agency was awarded funds from the state. And so with the blessing of the um, former owners of the agency, Howard and Vicki Denson, we were able to to bring this program back to life. Mm -hmm. Was there something about timing? Um, What makes this something that is especially needed Mm -hmm. now. Yeah. So um, right now, what we know is that almost 70% of children in care identify as Black and African American, and only 13% of foster parents do. Mm -hmm. And when I look at that statistic, to me, what that says is we are failing our children. And, you know, I'm so fortunate to work in an agency um, to where our executive director also looks at that and sees the same thing. And so with the timing of Kimberly Ann Collins' advocacy and with our funding, we were able to to re-rise this program. Mm -hmm. We're going to take a quick break, but we'll be back shortly to continue this conversation and pick up on how and why Respond is is coming back online. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio.
Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to conservation and careful management of the state's forests to make them more resilient and better habitats for wildlife. Choosewood.com. Now back to our conversation about the benefits of foster care placements that center culture and identity, particularly with black foster youth and black foster families. We've been talking so far with Jenny Jones, director of the Respond program at Foster and Adoptive Care Coalition, which seeks to recruit black foster families for black foster kids. We're happy to welcome another guest today who has direct personal experience as a foster parent, Heather Craig, foster mom and member of the Respond team. Heather, thanks for joining us. Hello, thank you for having me. So before the break, Jenny, we were talking about Respond and coming back online. Um, and I just want to make sure that we finish this point before we move on. Um, you had said that the training program is something that mm-hmm. may be going away. Mm-hmm. Is that also because of funding? No. So um, our training program is being replaced by another training that has been updated and more um, relevant to the issues that our children today are being impacted by. It's great to, to hear that it's yes. not the same problem this yes. time. Now, Heather, you are here because you work with the Respond team, and you're also a foster parent for much longer, that is seven years, in fact. What were your motivations to become a foster parent? Yeah, I'm actually a foster and adoptive parent, so I've got a little bit of experience in both uh, realms. But, you know, I had a strong passion for foster care from a very early age. I was a case manager prior to becoming a foster parent, and I just really saw the need for foster parents, and particularly black foster parents. I'd sit in a lot of family support team meetings, and the people looking back at me looked just like me, and I just wanted to help them in a greater way. Mm-hmm. Now, with the, the training program that has existed, Jenny, was there something that you all were observing happening during that training program that made you want more people like Heather to be foster parents? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I I will say the um, the way the training portion is set up is that there is a professional trainer and then there is a um, foster or adoptive parent trainer. And what we were noticing is that a lot of individuals who were going through our training who really understood and could really grasp the concepts that we were training them on um, fell in love with training. And when we offered the opportunity for them to come and train with us, it was almost like a perfect arrangement for them to uh, have the experience of being a foster parent, doing that groundwork, but also um, not on the professional side of things to where they don't see every in and out of the system, but they can provide that relative experience Mm -hmm. to other people who are going to be doing the same work as them. So Heather, when you began as a foster parent, um, did you go through similar training? Did you come through this particular agency? I did not come through this particular agency, but I did complete the STARS training. Mm-hmm. The training that they we still do to this day is called STARS, so yes. So from the time you were a, a case worker and 
becoming a, a foster parent, an adoptive parent too, has fostering and what it is, has that changed for you at all or has it remained relatively consistent? Yeah, it really hasn't changed for me. Um, I don't I don't know. I feel maybe a greater passion, you know, with each family that we have the opportunity to work with, with each child that comes in and out of our home and, and with each story, I think my passion uh, to help these families and help these children deepen. But mm-hmm. yeah, the passion's pretty strong and has been there. I'd imagine it would need to be. Mm-hmm. And you have a pretty big family now, right? Mm-hmm. So how big is your family? Today I have five. <laughs> and wow. it can it can vary based on the day. But right now I'm parenting five children. Mm-hmm. And how, how does the, the breakdown kind of shake up as far as, you know, um, the ones that have come through foster and then foster ad- to adopt and so so forth? Uh, so I have two. I think what you're asking is my current home composition of yeah. children. Okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, my husband and I have two biological children. We have two children that we've adopted, and then we currently are fostering one. And how old is the, the one? Two. Two years old. Yeah, just turned two. <laughs> and typically... I mean, how long do people, when they are serving as foster parents, Mm -hmm. how long do the kids stay with them? Oh, Elaine, this is my favorite question because things change so frequently. Um, And so some foster parents can have their kiddos from a few months to a few years to over a weekend. I, in this work that I've been doing for almost 10 years, I have seen it all Mm -hmm. um, to where a family has accepted a kiddo and then they have court that following Monday and then the judge throws everything out and then that foster experience that they had with that child is over. Or I've seen where a family has taken a child as an emergency placement Mm -hmm. and that kiddo ended up staying forever and they ended up adopting that kiddo. Um, So one of our favorite terms in child welfare is everything is a case by case. So there really is no um, standard of length of time of how long a child can stay or how quick a child can go. Mm -hmm. Heather, when did you decide that you wanted to work with foster and adoptive Care Coalition. Yeah, you know, um, it's really interesting because I've always known about the Foster and Adoptive Care Coalition and the amazing, amazing work that they do and all of the programs that they offer and all of the support. And I found myself as an adoptive parent, as a foster parent, reaching out to them constantly just for support, just for answers, just for a listening ear. Everyone at the coalition is Um, amazing. And I did not know about the opportunity for Respond. And I received a phone call from a previous licensing worker that I had that said, hey, this is this program. And we think you might be great for it. You know, you should maybe try to reach out and see if it's something that you think you want to do. And when I knew it was the opportunity to make my career and my passion collide, I jumped in. Mm-hmm. And what is it, the work that you are doing now? Yeah, so I am a recruiter for the Respond program. And so our goals with Respond are just to actively recruit and obtain black foster parents. And mm-hmm. so we go to events, we come to, um, well, this is our first appearance of uh, listening to something like this, which is amazing. But um, whatever we can to spread the word is is what I do. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and that's in addition to what you're doing as a as a mother of of many children. I mean, with the day to day of keeping up a household, right, and 
um, a changing home composition, what is it that keeps you and your spouse fostering? Yeah, I'm sure he's listening right now, so I'm not sure what <laughs> what his answer would be. But you know, it's it's all about the children. It's all about the families. Um, when I am again in family support team meetings, I see faces that look like me looking back at me, and just really, really being able to break those stereotypes and those. Um, just misconceptions for those families. You know, I, I want every birth parent to know we're here for you and we want to help and um, we're, we're wishing you the best and we're loving on your little one while you're getting it together. Mm-hmm. So, In your experience so far, as you were talking with people, both, you know, birth parents, birth families and potential um, foster parents, is there something that people either get wrong or maybe not quite right about being a foster parent and foster family? Uh, yeah, you know, we do get sometimes that people think we're glorified babysitters or they think foster parents are just glorified babysitters. And Jenny and I definitely stress to all of the people that, that come to us and say we want to foster that you are acting in a parenting role. Mm-hmm. You no, know, we respect the birth parents. We are working with the birth parents. We want to advocate for that child. And that means advocating for that family and advocating for that parent as well. But you are a parent. You're making day-to-day decisions for that child, for your household. And you're doing so with a team of people, but you're definitely not a babysitter. Mm-hmm. We're speaking with Heather Craig, who is a foster mom um, of five now? One foster child. One foster child. Yes, and four four children as well. Uh, And she also works on the Respond team as a Respond-targeted recruiter, as well as with Jenny Jones, the director of Respond and traditional licensing at Foster and Adoptive Care Coalition. Jenny, in hearing what Heather is talking about, I want to ask the same question of you regarding what people misunderstand. So we did talk about some of the myths, Mm -hmm. but are there other things that have come up um, where people are not really understanding what Mm -hmm. it means to to serve as a a foster parent or family? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I would also um, just like to tap into Heather's point earlier. Because one of the things that we stress about more so than just advocacy is the role that you play with that birth family is really a co-parenting relationship. And that's something that in all the years that I've done this work that I have always stressed because it's super important for the child to to see that, to see that you have that relationship with, um, with their family. Another thing that I would um, say that I've noticed is that Um, sometimes, you know, foster families don't really understand the depth of this work. And, um, you know, a lot of times people believe that we, we can just do this for extra money or, um, a side check. And uh, Heather can probably speak to this better than I can, Mm -hmm. but the money that you get for fostering the stipend that you get for that is not enough to maintain, um, your family, uh, full time. And so we do take a very 
deep look into your financials because we want to ensure that um, adding another member to your family into your household will not be something that financially hurts you in any way. Mm-hmm. But we also want to ensure that you are financially secure enough to to take care of these children who will have financial needs. Mm-hmm. Um, the state does provide um, a stipend, as I said, and children are covered um, with state assistant insurance. But you know, again, we know that that's not enough to fully provide for all the needs of children in care. And so really, one of the biggest misconceptions or things that I see is sometimes foster parents thinking that this is just going to be a part-time role or something that is not, you know, as major as parenting. And and really, you are parenting. You mm-hmm. are parenting children. Um, and they are going to see you as a parent. So with these with the black parents, mm-hmm. um, with black foster parents, that mm-hmm. is, and with black youth, part of the reason this Respond mm-hmm. program is getting has gotten back off the ground, mm-hmm. um, it started in 2022, is to address mm-hmm. that. You know, folks often want to hear about concrete outcomes, mm-hmm. especially the sort that are attached to, mm-hmm. to data, like numbers, right? Mm-hmm. What positive impacts have you seen in Black children your organization works with when mm-hmm. they are placed with a Black foster yeah. family? So actually, um, some things that we know um, with this program being evidence-supported is that when our children are able to be in culturally competent homes in homes that look like them, where they can experience their uh, cultural ties on a day-to-day basis. We know that their self-esteem is better. We know that their confidence is better. And honestly, the biggest one that just makes my heart the happiest is that they the healing that they have from their trauma is better mm-hmm. overall. And when you look at the impact that just placing a child in a culturally competent home, a home that can meet their cultural needs every day is having on our kids. It's massive. Yeah. It's massive. And to finish, Heather, what have you seen and observed of the, the value of being a black family with these black foster children? Yeah. Um, you know, there. I guess there are two things. One, as far as the children are concerned, just them being able to feel a sense of of peace. You know, we'll be out at an event and having a child calling me mom or dad Mm -hmm. or, you know, um, it's something that I see. But the second thing is I had a mom come and hug me and say, oh, my gosh, you look just like me. And that just makes my heart happy. Heather Craig has been a foster mom of seven years and a member of the Respond team. Jenny Jones is director of Respond and traditional licensing at the Foster and Adoptive Care Coalition. Thank you both for being here today. Having us. Thank Thank you. This episode was produced by Maya Norfleet. Our audio engineer is Aaron Doerr. Our production intern is Avery Rogers. This podcast was mixed and edited by Aaron. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. Our podcast proudly supports St. Louis artists by using music from Life Creative Group. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? 
Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thank you. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to conservation and careful management of the state's forests to make them more resilient and better habitats for wildlife. Choosewood.com.